We're going to be in Exodus chapter 16 today. Exodus chapter 16. This week begins our fourth week, our fourth week of social distancing and self-quarantine. And last week, we named this time of social distancing and self-quarantine, we named it the wilderness. The wilderness, which is a place where God's people have a rich history and tremendous spiritual resources on which, on which to draw, a place of trial and temptation, but also a place of empower, empowerment and encounter. We have entered an imposed wilderness. And in this wilderness, there is the possibility to receive, not with resentment, but with joy, there is the possibility to receive an imposed Sabbath. In Scripture, Sabbath and wilderness go together. And in this season of imposed wilderness, we might find rest through imposed Sabbath. In fact, I think the wilderness that you and I are in makes Sabbath all the more necessary. And so I want to show you what I mean. Let's look at Exodus chapter 16 together. Exodus chapter 16. And let me give you some context of what's been happening. God's people, the children of Israel, have been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And in their slavery, they cry out to God. They cry out to the God of their fathers who raises up Moses to lead them into freedom. Moses, in his own wilderness wandering, had a powerful encounter with God, which empowered him to perform many miracles, the most recent of which is parting the Red Sea so the Israelites could walk right through. In Exodus 16, the Israelites have just walked through, to walk, walked through the sea a wall of water on either side. Their clothes still smell of salt and fish. Their sandals are trailing pieces of seaweed like toilet paper. And on the other side of of this Red Sea, it turns out, is the wilderness. And as they look on the barren wasteland, stretching mile after endless mile in front of them, someone's stomach growls. And then someone else's, and a little boy tugs on his mother's skirts and says, Mama, I'm, I'm hungry. So look at Exodus chapter 16, verse 3. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread that we wanted. But now you have brought us to this wilderness to starve us all to death. One of my greatest internal battles is with hanger, not anger, but what happens when anger and hunger meet. Hanger is one of my uh, vices, you might say. Uh, I wish I could say that on the other side of the miracle, having walked through the Red Sea, that I would be full of faith and full of wonder and full of awe and ready to go on this journey. But the truth of the matter is, I would be hangry. If I was there, it would not say they moaned. It would say Kyle moaned. But here's the thing. God is gracious. And in this barren wilderness, God does not smite them for their whining. Instead, he promises to provide. He says, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. This is uh, verses 12 and 13. 
He says, I'm going to look, I'm going to rain down food for you. He says, in the evening you will have meat to eat. In the morning you will have all the bread you want. Then you will know, the text says, that I am the Lord. God makes this promise, but there is one exception. This promise to provide the meat every evening and bread every morning. He makes this promise, but there is an exception. On the seventh day, there would be no meat and no bread. To prepare, on the sixth day, the Israelites would be to, were to gather double what they need so that they can Sabbath on the seventh day. And this is the first time, Exodus 16, when the word Sabbath appears. So look at chapter 16, starting in verse 24. So they put some, some bread and meat, aside until morning, just as Moses had commanded. And in the morning, the leftover food was wholesome and good, without maggots or odor. Moses said, eat this food today, for today is a Sabbath day dedicated to the Lord. There will be no food on the ground today. You may gather the food for six days, but the seventh day is the Sabbath. There will be no food on the ground that day. So the Israelites double up, and they leave some for the seventh day. And those Israelites who did had plenty of food for their Sabbath. And of course, though, in any group of people, there are the obedient and the disobedient. In any group of people, there are those who double up on the sixth day and those who don't. In any group of people, there are those who still go out and have parties with their friends and those who stay inside like good citizens should. <laughs> These Israelites don't follow the commands. So look at verse 27. Some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day, but they found no food. The Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? It's not the last time the Lord says that. Verse 29, they must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. This is why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day, so there will be enough for two days. On the Sabbath day, you must each stay in your place. Don't go out to pick up food on the seventh day. So the people do not gather any food on the seventh day. If you have been or a pencil, or a crayon, grab it and underline verse 29. The Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. In Exodus 16, God finds his people tired and exhausted from 400 years of slavery. He finds a people worn thin, spread, in the words of uh, Bill Bobagan, spread like butter over too much bread. The shackles and the beatings and the crack of the whip did not just harm their bodies. It warped and wounded their souls. And they have begun to believe that the only value they have is in what they can produce. They have forgotten to sleep. They have forgotten to rest. They have forgotten how to celebrate. They have forgotten how to play. So God takes this worn out and burnt out, over-functioning people... And he says, I have a gift for you. In their wilderness, God gives them a gift. He has imposed Sabbath on them. Today we find ourselves in an imposed wilderness. And today I want to suggest, I want to call you into this imposed wilderness where God has a gift for you. God has a gift 
of you, for you, which is the gift of an imposed Sabbath. And God wants to come alongside of you. Your father wants to come alongside of you and me, hyper-functioning, ambition-oriented, career-driven, task-directed, joyless, restless, anxious, tired people. He wants to come alongside us, and he wants to give us the gift of rest, a gift that we need even more in these days of quarantine than we ever have. Uh, Last week, Google released a set of data which explores how mobility has changed across the globe since the days of shelter-in-place and self-quarantine began. I looked up the data uh, for the state of Ohio, and here's what I found. People are going nowhere. There's a 35% drop in going to work. There's like a 60% drop in going out to eat uh, and going to stores. And of course, we're not supposed to do these things, but it also tells you how mobile we were and how fast-paced we were. Uh, there is a massive increase in staying home. There is a massive increase in going to parks. There is a massive increase in being outside. This sudden ceasing of activity, and that's what the word Sabbath means, by the way. The Hebrew word where we get the word Sabbath simply means to cease. This sudden ceasing of activity can either be resented or rejected, or it can be received as a gift from the God who sees us as tired and overworked and in desperate need of rest. And in this season of imposed wilderness, where our days are filled with phone calls and Zoom calls and emails and text messages and those poor parents out there trying to teach your children common core math, uh, and when our days are filled with anxious, nonstop news intake, either on cable news or on social media, Uh, Our days, for many of us in this time of quarantine, on the one hand, are looser and freer and more open and at the very same time more chaotic and heavier and busier than they have ever been. And here is God's gift to you in that overwhelm. Here is God's gift to you in this season is an imposed Sabbath. The opportunity to set aside one 24-hour period for rest and play, and enjoyment, and encounter with God. Here's what I want to talk about today. I want to explore Sabbath in the Bible. I want us to look at what it looks like to practice Sabbath um, as rebellion and as a receiving of rest. And I want to look at this Jesus who desperately so wants to come alongside of you for rest in this time of isolation. And so let's look at what the word Sabbath kind of does in all of Scripture. Sabbath is a word that is connected to the Hebrew word for rest, for celebration, for completeness. But as I said, at its core, it means to cease. It's a theme that runs, the theme of Sabbath, runs from the very first pages of the Bible all the way to the very last. And Sabbath has been a core practice of the people of God for centuries. And even today, even today, if we were to go to Jerusalem, we would find, and if we were there on a Friday afternoon, we would find the streets quiet. We would hear songs and laughter drifting out of people's windows as a whole city goes on pause for 24 hours. The people of God, the children of Israel, practiced Sabbath. They practiced Sabbath because it was a reflection of God's own life. In the book of Genesis, we find that God rests on the seventh day, that he creates everything that there is in six days, and on the seventh, he rests. 
And God invites us into that rest, into his own resting. You can look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11 for that. Israel practiced Sabbath because it was a reflection of God's own life. They practiced Sabbath because it was a way to reenact the salvation that they had received. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, the practice of Sabbath is connected to the deliverance they experienced from slavery. Uh, In fact, Deuteronomy 5.15 says that you will remember when you practice Sabbath the Lord who delivered you from Egypt. By practicing your Sabbath, by practicing Sabbath, it was impossible to forget who your God was. By practicing Sabbath, it was impossible to forget who you belong to. By practicing Sabbath, it was impossible to forget the mighty acts that God had done on their behalf. For the children of Israel, practicing Sabbath was the way they reflected God's own life, the way that they reenacted uh, the salvation they had received, and it was also the way that they d- demonstrated their covenant belonging. I always think of that part in the first Toy Story when Woody picks up his shoe and underneath it, it says Andy, so that Andy had marked him as his own. See, Sabbath is a similar way that God marks us as his own. Um, In Exodus chapter 31, verses 12 and 13, it says, the Lord gave these instructions to Moses, tell the people of Israel, be careful to keep my Sabbath day. For the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. It is given so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. And if you jump down to verse 17, it says, This, the Sabbath, is a permanent sign of my covenant with the people of Israel. For for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he stopped working and was refreshed. Do you notice that Exodus 31 says that God was refreshed? We treat ourselves as people superior to God when we reject rest. As we turn to the pages of the New Testament, we find two things. First, we find a Sabbath warped and twisted so that it has become a crushing burden. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law had created such stipulations and extra rules around the Sabbath that no one liked practicing it anymore. So the second thing we find is a Jesus who comes to draw people back to the Sabbath by saying the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Or in the NLT, it says the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath for the Son of Man, Jesus, is Lord even over the Sabbath. See, Jesus defends the practice of Sabbath. He corrects the practice of Sabbath. He even engages in the practice of Sabbath uh, himself. And so if you are someone who wants to be with Jesus and be like Jesus and do the sort of things that Jesus did, I have good news for you today. Being with Jesus, being like Jesus, doing what Jesus did means taking a rest. It means practicing Sabbath. And if you don't believe me, jump ahead to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. It says, there is a special rest. There's a special rest still waiting for the people of God, for you and me who belong to Jesus. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best, the writer of Hebrews says, to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. Here's the reality. Most of us can wrap our minds around the theological and biblical principle of Sabbath. 
we can read Scripture and agree that Sabbath is a good idea and that Sabbath is a command, not a suggestion, but a command for the people of God, Old Covenant and New. On an emotional and psychological level, we can even sense our need for rest, which is why we engage in so many escapist behaviors, hoping to find rest there, but never really finding it. But the reality is that what stops us from practicing Sabbath, what stops us from resting, is the very pace at which we live our lives. Overcommitted, hyperactive, constantly on the go. Let me tell you what this looks like. When someone says, hey, how are you? How do you respond? When you say, hey, how are you? You respond by saying, I'm busy. You say, I'm busy busy. At least that's what you say if you're anything like me. And what I'm here to tell you is that something is radically and drastically wrong. And in this season of imposed wilderness, we have a unique opportunity to reboot our lives, to recalibrate our schedules, and to receive the gift of rest because Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. So I want us to think about Sabbath this morning as both resistance uh, and a rest and celebration. Walter Brueggemann, uh, who's an Old Testament scholar we like to quote a lot around here because we like to say the name Brueggemann, 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 Brueggemann. Uh, He has a book on Sabbath, and he talks about how the practice is not just rest and celebration, but it's an act of resistance, that practicing Sabbath is like guerrilla warfare, guerrilla warfare against an anxious culture of now. Do you know why we like to tell people that we're busy? We like to tell people we're busy because it makes us look important and impressive in a culture that rewards hyperactivity and accomplishment. Do you know why we have an almost compulsive need to reply instantly to every text and every call and every email and every Facebook message and every Instagram notification, here's why. It makes us feel important and it makes us feel needed. And one author, whether it's John Mark Comer or Rob Bell, I'm not sure which, point out that our phones and our devices has sent us straight back to Egypt where we have become enslaved and we're not making bricks We're responding to texts and answering emails and sending message after message after message after message. And when we practice Sabbath, when we disconnect from media, when we turn off the TV, when we put our phones in another room, we are practicing resistance in a culture that is dominated dominated by and seeks to, and I might hyperbolize here, but uh, we live in a culture that is seeking to destroy your soul one distraction, one Amazon purchase, one Instagram story, and one Netflix binge at a time. I'm just going to say it again. We are practicing, when we Sabbath, we are practicing resistance against a culture that is seeking to destroy your soul. One distraction, one Amazon purchase, one Facebook notification, one Netflix binge at a time. And in sharp contrast to this, Walter Brueggemann says, people who keep Sabbath 
live all seven days differently. People who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. Sabbath is an act of resistance. It is also ultimately a day of rest and celebration. Moses says, the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. This quote by Dan Allender really caught me. He says, the Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. The Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it is the best day of the week. It is the day we anticipate on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. It is the day we remember on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Sabbath is the holy time when we eat, play, dance, have sex, sing, pray, laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, and watch creation in its fullness. Now listen to this. Few people are willing to enter the Sabbath and sanctify it to make it holy. Few people are willing to enter it because a, because a day of delight, a full day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone one week. Few people are willing to enter the Sabbath because a full day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone in a week. Our resistance to Sabbath as rest and celebration, it turns out, is actually a masochistic addiction to pain and a sadistic aversion to real joy, which is probably why we settle for the quick hit of false joy that we get from escapism in video games and scrolling on social media and addiction to 24-hour news and binging a new TV show and talking on the phone and gossiping about people and watching porn and overeating and all sorts of other behaviors. But God's desire is to give you joy. God's desire is to give you rest. God's desire is to give you space to celebrate. And as much as I hate it when people say, doesn't God want me to be happy? He may not want you to be happy, but he does want you to be rested. And so today I want to invite you and challenge you to repent, to repent of your rejection of God's gift to repent of your addiction to ambition and approval, to leave behind your appetite for lesser things and to rest. And to be honest, this is a sermon where I am not operating out of a lot of lived experience. I am not operating out of a lot of success in Sabbath. In fact, the first time I have ever Sabbathed in my life was from when Jack went down for a nap on Friday and woke up from his nap on Saturday. And in that time of Sabbath, I found rest, I found refreshment, I found myself leaving Sabbath with a spring in my step that was not there. So I don't come to you at all as a perfect example, I come to you as a living example who is sick and tired of being sick and tired. I come to you as someone who says, if we leave the other side of this different Let it be because we learned how to sanctify the Sabbath and keep it holy. And so a few practices for that, a few practices for that might be helpful. Um, We entered our time of Sabbath and we left our phones in another room. We left our time of Sabbath, we entered our time of Sabbath, we left our phones in another room, we entered our time of Sabbath. And in that period of time, 
And in that period of time, uh, we only checked our phones, I think, about four times. We did not respond to a text message. We did not respond to a phone call. We did not respond to an Instagram message. We did not look at Instagram. We did not look at Facebook. And in fact, we left our TVs uh, off. We watched one movie in that time, and that was it. And one show, and that was it. Uh, We played, and, and we went on walks, and we did all sorts of things that we find enjoyable and restful and engaging. So here are a few tips for Sabbath. And by the way, I needed a mentor. I needed a friend in this. And so I looked to my friend John Mark Comer and his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which is a book that we're working through together on Sunday nights. Um, First, my encouragement would be to plan ahead. My first encouragement would be to plan ahead like you would for any holiday. So what we made sure to do was uh, to buy all the food we need, which is easy when you're only going to the store once a week. We made sure that we had a clear conversation together as husband and wife about what that would look like. Uh, We planned our meals. We identified what we wanted to eat. I made pretzel bites in the air fryer. They were delicious. Uh, And then we chose a 24-hour period where we could disconnect from technology or mostly disconnect. We uh, read novels instead of watched TV. We had conversations. We went on walks with Jack. We went on a lot of walks with Jack because the weather is nice. We didn't do chores. Uh, And a good day to do this for many of you might be Sunday. For us, this is kind of a work day. So we did noon on Friday to noon on Sunday, uh, noon on Saturday. But a good day to do this for many uh, could be Sunday. It could be for you. As we enter this season of imposed wilderness, there is the opportunity to receive an imposed Sabbath, to reboot your life and your schedule, and to orient our rest instead of uh, engage around restlessness, to reboot our life, to be working from rest, not resting from work. And the truth is, in this season, many of us are exhausted, and that's not the only compound, and that's compounded by busyness that is hitting us in Zoom meetings and back-to-back and the weight of the ambiguous loss, psychologists are calling it, that we experience in this season of quarantine. In this season, God wants to impose on you rest. And he's inviting you into it because of Jesus and the work Jesus accomplishes on Palm Sunday. See, today is Palm Sunday which our buddy Rodeo helped us remember a bit ago. So how does a sermon on rest fit into Palm Sunday? See, it's simply this. The work that Jesus begins on Palm Sunday that stretches into Maundy Thursday to Good Friday, the work that Jesus begins that that falls into a crash as Jesus is crucified and comes to a crescendo when Jesus rises again, see, it secures rest for us in our souls. See, on Holy Week that begins on Palm Sunday, Jesus began the real work. Jesus began the real work to set us free to have rest for our souls. And while this Easter will be different because we're not going to be able to celebrate in the ways that we would have years ago, what we know is that on that Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem and did the heavy lifting that we could not do so that we could have the rest that we could never achieve on our own. And so Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, 
Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, thank you for the rest that you want to give us. Thank you for the encouragement that you have for us. Thank you that you see us as weary and burnt out and exhausted and stretched too thin. And so you come not to tell us to work harder, but to work less. You come to tell us to find rest for our souls. And in this season of quarantine and imposed wilderness, may we find you. May we find you in that rest. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.